Our scripture today is going to be coming from the book of Judges um, in chapter 11. We are part of a 10-week series on the Ten Commandments. This is week three. We're going to be looking at respect God's name. What does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? And we're going to look at that in a second. But before we do any of that, so if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open up your Bible, whether it's a physical Bible or your pocket Bible, also known as your phone, open that up the book of Judges chapter 11. That's where we will be. But I want to talk to you a little bit about my life growing up. When I was little, I've never been to Disney World in my whole life. Never. Not even once. Uh, My wife says this will change, (laughs) apparently. Uh, For whatever reason, on YouTube, we have a smart TV. Ruby, my two-and-a-half-year-old, has found that you can watch the Mickey Mouse 90th birthday celebration parade from Walt Disney World right there on your TV. And so it's this like immersive experience. So apparently Disney is in my future, but when I was a kid, I did not go to Disney World. In fact, you could describe me as a precocious child. I instead had great childhood interests like going to plays and seeing Shakespeare. One of the things I really enjoyed was being able to go down in Rhode Island to Trinity Repertory Theater in Providence, Rhode Island, where I saw a number of plays throughout the year, throughout the years. And the one that, one of the ones that made the most impact on me was in the 1997-98 season at Trinity Rep, there was a production of A Midsummer's Night Dream that did a very minimalist Production. Now you can say, David, at that point you should have liked Mickey Mouse and Power Rangers and playing with trucks and being a kid, but I loved the character development of Bucket and so many others in that play. And what I was so fascinated with was that that set was one bucket and one ladder, and they wore minimalist clothing, and they just did the play without any props. They kept it really simple. Now years later, um, my father who had, um, had an opportunity to go through an c- educational cohort, and he had an opportunity to talk to one of the people involved in these productions, and he said, yes, you got to understand, because the season before, and he talked about being an actor during this time period. He was an actor, Trinity Rep, during the 90s, and he said, you got to understand, the year before, we realized more is not more, and what happened is we did a production of Romeo and Juliet, in a giant water tank. And so they put this giant water tank up and they did this whole Romeo and Juliet in water. And at the end of the run, it was about a month and a half or two month run, by the end of it, everything just reeked of chlorine. And even worse, when you looked at this tank, you could just see it was a clear tank that you could look in and it was just filled with the gum that people had thrown. Maybe they were thinking they were funny, but it just got gross and disgusting, and they realized that more is not more when it comes to theater, when it comes to putting on a Shakespearean play. It is about the character, it's about the acting, it's about the motivation behind the lines, but it is not about more. More is not more. I think in my own life, I've learned to love stripped-down minimalist music. I think of whether it's some of the music of Neil Young, where it's very just acoustic guitar-driven, or whether I think of um, Joan Baez, where she had some wonderful albums in the 60s and 70s, where she's even sometimes singing just a cappella herself, showing that 
sometimes more is not more. Sometimes it's about the words, and it's about the story behind songs, and it's about the meaning, and that we don't just have to do more. And that's during a time, if we think of those, um, like Joan Baez's albums, those are during a time when everyone was trying to figure out new productions. You had uh, Phil Spector had a wall of sound, and you eventually had a guy named Alan Parsons engineered um, and later he becomes famous for the Alan Parsons project, but he engineers Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. But during that time, there were people that realized, you know, sometimes less is better, sometimes more is not more. And I've always been given a hard time with people in my life. They make fun of me and they say, David, what's with you and all this, like, stripped-down guitar music? It's kind of weird. Like, what's going on? But I like to do stories in threes. And so... Maybe you don't get the whole play thing, and maybe you don't get the whole music thing. So I want to talk about summertime. In summertime, it's a great time for ice cream sundaes, hot fudge sundaes. Anybody like a good hot fudge sundae in the summer? Anybody? Rodney's got some ice cream for me. Thank you, Rodney. Love you, brother. Awesome. So we got a nice classic. Look at this. I want to show you. I want to challenge us today to think that our faith is kind of like the right relationship with God is like a classic hot fudge sundae. We open up our thing of ice cream. We take a scoop. We put it in our bowl. Now it's summertime. We earned it. Let's have another scoop. Can we have another scoop? Who agrees? David, you can have another scoop. Okay, I got my nice two scoops of ice cream. Go for it, right? You know, you only live once. Remember that whole YOLO thing? Look at that. A nice, lovely, look, very classic vanilla. Nothing complicated. No moose tracks here. Just a nice vanilla ice cream. Now, what do we need for that hot fudge sundae? Well, you say, David, this isn't hot fudge. You're right, I'm cheating. I'm going to use a little classic Hershey syrup. Just get like a little marbled texture there. Look how beautiful that is. Does that not look delicious? Any takers for this so far? Does this look so good? So then, of course, what good is a hot fudge sundae without whipped cream? Now, I've found, especially doing this a couple times, the best sound in the world is the sound of the whipped cream bottle spraying. Listen to this. Ready? Doesn't that sound like summer? That sound sounds like summer, of course. Now, I'm going to show you that I'm a toddler parent and not a grown-up. You all are real grown-ups. I'm a toddler parent because we don't do a cherry. What do we do? We're all about those sprinkles. Let's get a, get a little, little nice sprinkles right there. Look how classic. That is a hot fudge sundae, and that is like the right walk, living, giving my heart to God, having the right walk with Jesus. It's simple. It's not complicated, it's classic, it's good. Can we all agree this looks desirable? Anybody have any issues with this? Okay. But the reality is, and we're going to see this as we look at the Ten Commandments, the problem is when we don't respect God's name, when we take the Lord's name in vain, I'm going to ask us a question. Look on the screen real quick. I have this question for you. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? It's where I take my good Christian walk just Loving God, loving people, praying, keeping it simple, taking care of people in the community, loving them, serving, seeking to live one day at a time, humbly, understanding, being right-sized with God. We talked about that the first week. The second week, we talked about this idea of not taking things out of their proper place and putting them higher or at the same level as God, but understanding faith can be a simple, positive thing. But Taking God's name in vain is taking on God's name for another purpose, for more. I'm calling this message, more is not more, because to take God's name in vain is to take it on for myself 
and to do something like this is to make a foolish vow that has nothing to do with God, a foolish oath. We're going to see that in the text where I say, oh, I swear to God that blank. And now I make that more important than trusting God and living in that right way. When I take God's name in vain, it's tragic, it's difficult, because we can keep it simple. We can live the faith of that hot fudge Sunday. What happens when I take God's name in vain, I don't realize that God is holy, God is set apart, but instead I say, you know, I know better. You know what would be even better than a classic hot fudge Sunday? And let's, let's top ourselves off first, right? Let's, let's make sure, let's add some extra whipped cream, and that's fine, okay? And a little more, little more sprinkles. But then I say, you know what? I know better. You know what would be even better than this hot fudge Sunday? You know what I love in the summer? I love hot dogs. I think a hot dog is so delicious. Anybody like a good hot dog in summer? Yeah? Hot dog with um, mustard, right? Can't be ketchup. Do I have any hot dog with ketchup people here? Yeah? Um, you're wrong. I apologize. And we'll talk about this later. Look how classic this is. The problem is, is we think we know better than God. So instead of living that faith of the hot fudge Sunday, we say, no, I need a hot dog too. I need more God. I'm going to take, take on more. I, I, we take God's name in vain. We take on God for our own purposes. And what happens? Ew. Ew. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? It's to not give God the respect, the adoration, our hearts that he observes, thinking that we need to do more. We're going to see in a moment a guy who thought he needed to do more. He, maybe he thought it was being zealous for God. Maybe he was just being braggadocious and trying to prove something. It doesn't matter. When we take on God's name for ourselves, it's more than OMG. I told you last week, with idols, we can often let ourselves off and say, oh, the Ten Commandments are boxes to check. All we have to do is say, I'm not setting up little statues in my house that I'm worshiping, so I'm good. But it's not about that. It's about to trust God today. I can start today, and I can realize if there are things in my life that I'm putting on God's level or above Him, I can stop, and I can say, God, you are God. These are not. I can let them go. In the same way, to take God's name in vain is to take on God to do more and more is not more. Can we agree before I throw it away? I'm going to throw it away. But can we agree more is not more? So that takes us to the book of Judges. And the book of Judges follows a pattern. This book, I want us to think in our heads. If you're like, I've never heard of the book of Judges before, I'm so glad you're here today. We're going to talk about it. The book of Judges, I'm going to give a subtitle. The Total Failure and Disobedience of the Foolish Israelite People. The total failure and disobedience of the foolish Israelite people. It's a series of episodes. My streaming fans, who, who primarily uses Hulu? Do I have any Hulu streamers? Hulu seems like it has a very small following. What about HBO Max? Anybody HBO Max? Okay. What about Netflix? Do we all have Netflix? Are we a Netflix church? Okay, we're a Netflix church. We won't be faith community church anymore. I guess we'll be Netflix church. Okay. But when you think of a TV show and you think of a scripted TV show, you can have ongoing stories with plot arcs, or you can have episodic TV shows that are anthologies. Have we ever seen, like, True Detective, 
or American Crime Story, or American Horror Story. These are anthology series. That's what the Book of Judges is. So when we think of the Book of Judges, yes, it's got a long narrative, but there's different characters because it covers hundreds of years. There's not one central character in the Book of Judges that's human. Instead, we follow this pattern. The people are disobedient. They think they know best, and they don't. They get defeat from an enemy. There is a group of people in our text today, it's going to be the Amorites, but it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's the Philistines. They get defeat, and then they say, oh, you know what? It's time for repentance, sort of. Repentance means turning away from myself and turning back to God. And they call out to God, and they say, God, we've messed up. We're so sorry. And even though the people are disobedient and unfaithful, God is faithful, so God sends a judge. We have these series of judges through here. The judge rises, and the judge comes in and is there to bring deliverance from the enemy. In our text today, we'll see deliverance from the Amorites. But the problem in a deliverance is the judge often doesn't live a holy life. The judge lives faithfully, militarily usually, but not with his or her life. Doesn't have a holy life following God, and we'll see the mess that this disobedient judge will often create too, even though there will and it will lead to things sort of being okay, but not really. And then it goes over and over and over and over, and that's the pattern in the book of Judges. And that brings us to our protagonist for today, meet Jephthah. Who's heard of Jephthah before? Do I have any, any people? I got a couple. Okay, Jephthah is one of the lesser known people in scripture, and he's not a moral role model. You can say, David, it's confusing because I know Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame for my biblical um, historians, right? The letter to the Hebrews has a chapter called the Faith Hall of Fame where it talks about the most faithful people to God, and he appears at the end of it briefly. So you can say, David, this is confusing. You're saying he's not a moral role model, but he's in the Faith Hall of Fame. Why? I'm glad you asked. Thank you for asking. Let's just quick clear this up because we got to just clear this up and then we can do everything else. He's in the Faith Hall of Fame because he follows God's leading militarily and brings physical deliverance from the enemy, but he doesn't live a moral life. He doesn't live right with the Lord. He doesn't live understanding that he can serve God with his heart. He makes more. And we're going to see with him in this story, you're going to see that he is someone who had a complicated past, he was born in this place, Gilead, and it says, the text says that his mother was a prostitute, and so now he's this person with a complicated past in this time that really put him in kind of an outcast group of people, and he feels like an outcast in his life, and eventually he's rejected from his society and becomes an outlaw, and he literally leads a band of rebels until this group of people, the Amorites, comes, and the Israelite people, they're not a nation, they're sort of a confederacy, they say, we need someone to save us. Would you, Jephthah? And he's like, eh, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll make you basically like the guy. You'll be, you'll, you'll be the, the head honcho, like we're going to make you our person. Okay, sure, yeah, I want to be like king for life and that'll work. And so he steps up. And then now we see that God's spirit is with him militarily to bring deliverance to the people. And he can't just leave it there. He can't just serve God. He can't simply just trust God with his heart. If our faith is kind of like that hot fudge Sunday, he's got to 
do even worse than throwing the hot dog on there. You'll see he does something tragic and horrible and unspeakable, and he shows us exactly what happens when we take God's name on for ourselves, when we do not trust God with our heart, love our neighbors as ourselves, and keep it simple like that. You're going to see what happens because in this text, I won't read the text today. Let me summarize quickly. If you're with us for Pastor's Bible study tonight, we're going to go deep on the text. So join us 5 p.m. via Zoom or in the building. But here's what happens in this text. Jephthah has God's Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is with him. It's upon him. And he doesn't leave it at that. He makes a vow. He says, okay, God, if you give me victory with the Amorites... Now, I just want to be clear, God's always, already going to give him victory from the Amorites. But he says, God, if you give me victory from the Amorites, I will give you the first thing as a burnt offering that comes out of my home. Pretty weird, but that's an ancient world thing. And he has victory. And then he goes home, and out of his house, the first thing, is his only child, his daughter. And now he starts to blame her. He says to her, you've brought disaster on me. And we'll talk about this. Oh, no, 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 Jephthah. You brought disaster on yourself. You did not need to create this weird box. You did not need to do all this stuff. You've created disaster, and that happens. And then eventually he goes through with it, and he joins in the detestable ancient world practice of child sacrifice that is basically kind of the calling card of what does it mean to not follow God in the ancient world? It's to do this. Um, anytime we see someone do this, it's kind of like the indicator, this person is not following God, and he does it. And it's not then forgotten. The text literally says that the women of Israel for generations weep, and they still, in the writing of the text, to this day weep for the fate. They lament Jephthah's daughter. I can say, David, that's a, that's a heavy text. We preach the Bible here. We, we look through different texts in the Bible, and we want to understand that not every single person in Scripture is an example of how to live. Some people really get it wrong. We can really get it wrong, and it's comforting to see sometimes people who even get it worse than we do. Jephthah really makes a mess. He really gets himself into trouble, and he does damage, and we can learn from that. Because here is the one thing I want us to, we get nothing else today, here's the one thing I want us to get. God wants our hearts, nothing more. You can ignore everything else. If, you, if, if we write that and we practice that, nothing else we say today will matter. Because the truth is it all just supports that. God wants our hearts. It's true throughout all Scripture. Create me a clean heart, whole hearts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. There are so many references. God wants our heart. God doesn't want our more. God doesn't want all the stuff, all the weird things that we do to make things complicated and to add on and to take his name on and, and to say, look, I'm, 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 I, this is of God, but it's not loving God and it's not loving people and it's not rooted in prayer and it's something different. God wants our hearts. He doesn't want all the rest. It's a troubling text. We look at the text and I use the example of the hot fudge Sunday and the hot dog so that we can really center ourselves on that. Faith is like that nice clean, positive, hot fudge Sunday. That's what God gives us. Just that nice, positive summer classic. We make it more. We think we got to slap the hot dog on there. We think that we have to go beyond. We do not. God wants our hearts, nothing more. And why is that? Because more is unnecessary. Let's look right in the text at our first verse here. This is verse 29. At, the spirit, at that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, 
And he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. Again, I, I mentioned this before. The Spirit of the Lord being with Jephthah does not mean that everything he did in his life was now of God. It meant that he was going to have military victory. It was still his responsibility to live the right way. God is faithful in our lives. We still have a responsibility to walk in an upright manner with him. We still have a responsibility to love him in each moment of our life. We still have the responsibility to, when we mess up, to ask for forgiveness. We'll receive the forgiveness, but to ask the forgiveness. We still have a responsibility because more is unnecessary. He doesn't need to make this vow. It is not necessary in the least. Maybe he was trying to do it for zeal. Maybe he was trying to do it for some good reason. But all that happened is that he did this unnecessary braggadocious thing that created a lot of pain. Maybe he felt he needed to prove something. Do we feel that ever? Do we ever sit in church or in our dining room and say, you know, God's done a lot of amazing things in my life, but, you know, I just, I just don't feel right with it. It doesn't sit right with me. I feel like I need to do more. We don't. More is unnecessary. We love God. We love people. We receive Christ in our hearts. We have a profession of faith. We're justified, made right by God. The power of guilt and sin is broken, and now we can start to walk with God. But we make it more. But we say, oh, I know better. Oh, I know something else. I think of someone who's had, had a tremendous impact in my life has been the music of Keith Green, a singer from the 70s and 80s. Do I have any Keith Green fans? Keith Green um, is someone who kept it simple in his life. He realized more was not more. Instead, he gave his life to Jesus, and they brought people into their homes, and they just helped their community. And he wrote these nice songs about, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. Just giving God my heart. To obey is better than sacrifice. You know, people say you're coming again, but none of them are acting like it. I want to. And he talks about this idea of having baby skin. He says, we've got these times where our hearts, if God wants our hearts, our hearts get all crusty and old. God, give me baby skin on my heart. And I think of that lesson throughout various times in my life. I've been reminded that I need the Holy Spirit to do a work in me to allow me to have that skin like a baby on my heart so that I can give God my heart and not my more, not that all that unnecessary stuff, those feelings of needing to prove, but that I can just say, Lord, here I am to be a humble, sweet guy who's here to be a servant. I don't need to be a big shot. We talked about idols last week and how sometimes I and others can take approval or achievement, make those more important. No, I won't do that. God will just give you my heart. More does not equal faithfulness. Faithfulness equals faithfulness. If you're feeling like you need to prove something, I'm going to give you permission right now you don't. Maybe someone feels like you need to prove something to God. You don't need to prove anything to God. God wants your heart. You don't need to prove anything. So if you need a member of the clergy to give you permission that, to, to let you off the hook, this is me letting you off the hook. You don't need to prove anything. God wants your heart. If, that, if we get nothing today other than that, more is not more because God wants our hearts, nothing extra. And more also makes a mess. Let's look at verse 34. When Jephthah returned home to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. So we immediately see 
His daughter now comes out. He's gone ahead, even though God was going to give him victory, he's gone ahead and said, wow, I need to do more. I'm going to give the first thing that comes out of my house, and now it's his most beloved person in the whole world. It's his daughter. But the text keeps going. Let's look at the next verse. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me. For I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. There's a couple of things problematic about this. Jephthah, do we ever have times where we're our own worst enemy, and our thoughts are the, are the worst place, that so we think and think? And instead of, instead of just living out our faith, we just think about it, we overthink. Do I have any overthinkers here? Jephthah has overthought himself and created this weird box to the point where he's literally blaming it on someone else. He's saying to his sweet, innocent daughter, oh, you've destroyed me. No, she has not. No, Jephthah, you've destroyed you. Jephthah, you're your own worst enemy. The only person who's created the mess is Jephthah. When I make a mess in my life, no one else is to blame, just me. When each of us make messes in our lives, blaming people is not going to solve anything, and it's certainly not going to make them feel good. I can't imagine that Jephthah's daughter felt good about him being like, you've brought disaster on me. No, no, she did not bring disaster. Also, here's the truth. Jephthah wasn't even that literate of Levitical law. Literally, in Leviticus 27, it talks about how to get out of an oath. He could have gotten out of this. But instead, He's his own worst enemy. He made a mess, and he let his mess just continue to take charge. I think of the phrase, throwing good money after bad. Have we ever heard this phrase before? I also think of it this way. I like, in physics, and I, I never really paid attention in science class. Any, any scientists here? Okay, well, hope I get this right. I'm going to do my best. I checked uh, Wikipedia. Wikipedia is the ultimate source on science, right? Okay, I checked Wikipedia to make, make sure what I remembered in ninth grade was accurate, inertia. So from my uh, ninth grade memory in Wikipedia, what I remember about inertia is inertia is just the idea of once something starts going, it keeps going because of inertia. We have moral inertia in our lives where we make a moral or immoral decision and now we just are on a path and now we're going. If we're making a bunch of good decisions, we are now, it's easy to make good decisions when we're making other good decisions. When I pray with one person, it's easier to pray with the second person. When I spend one night reading stories to my children, it's easier to spend the next night reading stories to my children. When I make one compromise on the other side, it's easier to make the next compromise. Moral inertia. And we see that Jephthah now is just on this path. He's on this road of all this negativity, and he keeps going, but he could have stopped because when we find ourselves stuck by the more that makes a mess, there is always a solution. We don't blame people. We turn to God, give Him our heart, and say, say, Lord, I need help. I'm stuck. I think it's something my dad taught me when I was a little kid. He said to me, David, you will never be in more trouble. Notice that. He didn't say you won't be in trouble. You'll never be in more trouble if you ask for help when you've made a mess of things. We'll never be in more trouble if we stop and say, God, I've made a mess of this. Lord, I want to surrender to you right now. So I want you to write something down. I wrote it down on my phone earlier, and I'm going to rewrite it in my phone. 
When I feel stuck, write this down with me. When I feel stuck, I can surrender to God. Do you remember writing lines in grade school? Did anyone ever have to write lines where you had to write the same thing over and over again? Maybe today we need to write lines on this. Let's write it again. When I feel stuck, I can always surrender to God. I invite you to write that a couple times today. Maybe write that tomorrow. Maybe write that throughout your life. When I feel stuck, I can always surrender to God. Jephthah could have surrendered to God, but he didn't. He blamed, and he continued this path, this destructive path. I think of, here's our second theater reference. The greatest musical that's ever been made is Les Mis. Who wants to disagree with me? Anybody like Les Mis? Les Mis is epic. I can see that no one disagrees with me, so that's good, okay? If you, if you think there's a better musical than that, um, we can talk about that after service, and I'll tell you why you're wrong. No, it's not Rent. What's with the Rent people? Do you know a Rent? Do I have any of those Rent people here? I don't get you. 500, 25,000, 600, me, I don't get it, okay? Don't get it. Don't get it, and that's another sermon for another day. However, however, and this is important. Javert, Inspector Javert is this guy who's just like Jephthah. And he's really relatable because do I have any legalist here? Is there anyone who finds that you default to legalism? I'm putting my hand up. Am I legalistic, Laura? Yes? She's saying yes. She's laughing because I'm legalistic. If I, does anyone else want to admit that you can be a little legalistic? You don't have to put your hand up, but admit it yourself. Thank you for the brave hands. But here's the thing. When we are legalistic too much, or legalist at all maybe, we find ourselves making messes. The good news is we can always surrender to God. Inspector Javert is legalistic. Instead of loving God, he's hunting this guy, Jean Valjean. He's hunting him and he's singing about it. It's a musical. He's singing about it and he's singing about his hate and his anger, which isn't helpful if you love God. We shouldn't be focusing on our hate and anger. But nonetheless, he's doing it and it gets out of control. It makes a mess in his life. So too in our lives, if we are becoming legalistic, if we're making that mess, we can surrender. Let's go back to that line we wrote. Ready? Open up your phone. Write it one more time. When I feel stuck, I can always surrender to God. Jephthah could have done it. I now have it written many times in my phone. I'm going to write it more today, tomorrow, the next day. Let's write it this week. When I feel stuck, I can always surrender to God. It is always a choice today because more can be tragic. More cannot just be unnecessary and make a mess. It can be truly tragic. It's not always. There are times that it's just slapping that hot dog on that Sunday. That's why I started with that visual. There are times that more, taking God's name on for myself, there are times that that simply makes a mess of things and it's simply unnecessary. But we see with Jephthah, it is truly tragic because when he felt stuck, he didn't surrender to God. He did not just give God his heart. God wants our hearts nothing more, but look what Jephthah does instead. When his daughter, she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made and she died a virgin. So it became a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. When we do not give our hearts to God, we hurt others. 
Sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways. And this is a hard, painful text, but it's helpful to remember that when I feel stuck and I don't surrender to God and I keep doubling down and I keep having that wrong kind of moral inertia and I keep just throwing good money after bad and I keep going and I keep going, it often doesn't just hurt me. It often hurts people to love, the people that I love the most. Those are the people that are get hurt. Supposedly, Jephthah's daughter is the person he loves the most and he won't just turn to God and stop and look what happens. He literally puts her to death. And it's awful, and it's indefensible, and it's inexcusable, and it's not something I'm going to say, oh, yeah, he should have done that was justified. No, it was not. No, it was not. No, it was not. And when we make compromise after compromise after compromise, and more, 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 and it hurts people, that's not justified. There's hope. There's hope. The hope is, pull out your phone again, when I feel stuck, I can always surrender to God. That's the hope. Right now. Last week we talked about to trust God today, start today. I remind us of that. When I feel stuck, I can always surrender to God. God wants my heart, my heart nothing more. This is the good news of the non-example of, Je- example of Jephthah. When we get in these destructive cycles, we can always stop. We can always say to God, you know what, today is the day that I literally need to stop taking you on in vain You are holy, I am not. You are God, I am not. I need to love you with my heart. You're set apart. Because when we live the Christian life the right way, it's simple and it's beautiful and it's positive. Remember when I made that ice cream sundae at the beginning? A simple ice cream sundae is a beautiful, simple thing. I was reminded this week, I went to the beach with my children and with my wife. And we went to the beach. We didn't have some big program planned. We just had dinner on there. We just had a simple, beautiful, nice time. When we give God our hearts, we're we're not necessarily going to be billionaires and trillionaires, but we can enjoy the simple things and the positive things of life. I will tell you, as someone who gets to pray with people, try it sometime. Try turning to someone you love, or or not even with them, but try with them, And try saying, you know what? I'd like to have a prayer for you. And just not judge them and be like, as you're standing with them, dear God, thank you so much for Billy. Um, I'm sorry that he's so difficult. And thank you for my grace. No, not that. But just, hey God, thank you so much for Billy. He's a dad of two little girls and he's a husband and he's got a lot he does. Thank you so much for his faithfulness. I appreciate him. Take that moment to enjoy the simple parts of following God, to give God our heart, and to say we don't need to do more. Jephthah had position that he could have done amazing things, and instead, he had to go on and do more. He had to think that he knew better. And so I ask us today, is there something in your life where you are saying, I have to do more, I'm not good enough, I am not worthy? Maybe it's Like with Jephthah, we didn't even get into the psychology of it, right? He had adverse childhood experiences, so maybe this is him just living out his adverse childhood experiences. If there is something in your life that you are saying, I'm taking God on in the wrong way, maybe it's an oath, maybe it's a vow, maybe it's a mess you've made, we're going to have an opportunity during our final song, just come forward and I'll pray with you. And if we have a lot of people come forward, we'll have someone else come pray with you. Because the reality is, yes, 
More is not more. God wants my heart, nothing else. But open up one more time to that thing we wrote. Let's write it one more time and then we'll pray. And I want you to repeat after me. When I feel stuck, I can always surrender to God. And I know that there's people, I need to hear it, there's people here who need to hear that today, who need to write those lines like we're in grade school. Pray with us. Come talk to us. If you need to surrender today, you're feeling stuck, you're making it more, more is not more. God wants our hearts, nothing more. So I'm going to pray, we're going to sing a song, and if you want to come down for prayer, we'd love to pray with you, and I hope you have a, a blessed week after that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your faithfulness. We know that surrender is not easy. We know that those times where we've made it about everything else and more and we're getting like Jephthah, that it's hard to surrender today. When we feel stuck, when we make a mess of things, it's easy to continue going and saying, I can't control any of this. But God, give each of us the courage to do that. We praise you for that. We know that that makes a difference. Giving us your heart. When we give you our hearts, that makes a difference. We ask for the strength and the courage to do so today, each day, tomorrow, when we wake up, to have that simple, that beautiful time with you, praying with you, saying, thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for the difficult people in my life that I get to show Jesus' love to. Thank you for all the ways life is not perfect and that's okay. Thank you for the fact that you are faithful even when I am not. And God, if I'm making it more, Please, Lord, give me strength to let go. Let me give you my heart and nothing more. Let me return to you with all my heart. Let me remember your love, your grace in my life. Let me remember the fact that I don't need to have all the answers or to be perfect or to make it more. That there's things that I do that instead of just enjoying the goodness in my life, I make it too much. Forgive me at those times, God. And give me the strength to surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.